Thank you, worship team, for reminding us, our good, good Father, in whose presence we get to enjoy entering this morning as we worship and gather. We're going to continue this morning our series on prayer. Last week we talked about moving inward, and today we're going to talk about moving upward, and then next week you're in for a real treat. We all are, because the Reverend Trey Heyman will be bringing us a word on moving downward in the the dark night of the soul when we feel like our prayers are just hitting the ceiling and and bouncing back and we feel like God isn't really present or attentive to us. And then we're going to finish the series, of course, with a missional outward look as we move outward, as we pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, moving outward in our prayer. So I hope you've been reading the incredible devotions um, in our 31-day prayer guide, those purple books, those nice Lenten, Cal and I have our Lenten ties on this morning in honor of the season of Lent, but um, if you haven't been reading those, man, they're so powerful. Uh, one of them, I got a text from a friend who said, oh, that was a good word that you wrote uh, in the devotion this morning. I said, man, I wrote that in like a couple minutes. I didn't even remember saying what was in there. It was like the Holy Spirit just speaking through me. And then I, I read some of the other ones from uh, church members, and I'm just so amazed at how God speaks through our membership, some incredible depth and wisdom and knowledge and insight there. So I, I, it's really neat to hear how we're all praying together this month and, and reading those amazing devotions. If you want to get on the email list and have those emailed to you, please go to our church's website and click on, what do they click on, Andy? I don't even know what they click on. There's there you go. There's a button to sign up on the homepage for the prayer guide. So click on the button that says if you want to sign up for the prayer guide, and Andy will make sure you get on that. I'd encourage you to begin today if you haven't already. This is day 11. We're going along with the days of the week if you had not figured that out yet. March 1 was day 1, and March 2 was day 2, and so on. So we're doing this month of prayer for two primary reasons. The first one being that it is the season of Lent in the church calendar. That according to church tradition, this is a time that is to be set aside for God's people around the world to focus on prayer and fasting and repentance as we prepare our hearts for the most holy day of the year for Christians. The glorious morning of Easter Sunday morning is in three short weeks. So it's a time to prepare our hearts with spiritual renewal. And with repentance as we turn from our wicked ways and return to the Lord with all of our hearts. So the second reason that we're doing this month of prayer is throughout this whole year of 2018, I feel like the Lord is leading us to discern what His purpose is for our church. It's a year of rediscovering what our purpose is as Woodmont Baptist Church. Why does God have us here on this corner At this time, who are we as a church? What does God want to do through us? Where is he moving around us and and in us and in our community? These questions are only answered through prayer. We, We must prayerfully discern together what it is that God is calling us to do and to be in our next 75 years of our church's history as we move towards our 150th anniversary celebration. I don't think we'll be planning that one, Richard, but uh, (laughs) it'll be a glorious occasion, I'm sure. 
Before we do any kind of, you know, corporate strategic planning or asset mapping or, or surveys or, or anything like that, you know, appreciative inquiries, I'm doing some of that for my doctorate. Before we do all that kind of stuff, if we really want to know what God's up to, let's just get on our knees together. Let's just come before the Lord, approaching the throne of grace with confidence, earnestly seeking his face and what his will is. We'll get into all that kind of vision planning and stuff later, but for this season, I want us to just hit our knees, hit the floor together as we pray to the Lord. So last week, we began our, our journey of prayer by moving inward, like I said. I, I had a, a religion professor, Trey had him too, and it, a lot of you who went to Belmont had this guy. He's been there for 100 years at Belmont, but Dr. Ben Curtis, who spoke at Trey's ordination service, he's a wise and godly uh, man and a wonderful professor, and he said that prayer is just moving your thoughts into your heart. He defined prayer as just moving your, your head into your heart. It's about getting those surface level thoughts down into the space where the Holy Spirit lives and dwells and moves. I think that's a good way to think of moving inward in prayer, about getting our, our worldly thoughts down into our core where God resides. So we talked last Sunday, when we do this move inward, we do it knowing that God loves us, that he's created us, he's formed us in our mother's womb, he loves us in our very core, he knows every thought we have, every word we say before we say it, like the choir just sang, but he still loves us as a good, good father. And so my prayer is that in our brokenness, we would quit resisting the, the pull of God's love on us. God's love is, is drawing us to himself because he created us for himself. And yet, in our sin, we push back against him and resist God's invitation. I hope that Woodmont Baptist Church can learn to become more and more of a praying church by letting our collective resistance to God's love fall away. Let the walls of our resistance as we move into God's prayerful, loving invitation. We talked last week about the things that keep us from praying, that we don't prioritize prayer the way that we should. I've been meeting with some of the deacons in the fireside room to pray before the service, and one of them said to me as we were coming in here, we should do this every time. And I said, yes, we should. He said, if we're not praying before the service, then what are we doing here? If we're not inviting God's spirit to move in our midst, then what's the point of coming to church? Absolutely, we have to pray. We have to make it a priority. But we often function like atheists. We function as if God isn't really there, as if he's not really involved in our daily lives, in our decisions of every day. I also think our own pride comes into play. Oh, I can do it. I don't need God. Also, our fear. God, God's going to be angry at me for all the bad things I've done. The shame, the guilt that we carry is so powerful. But thanks be to God that he gave us his only son to make us right with himself and to cover over all of our sin and guilt and shame forever, making us his child as a good, good father who loves us and cares for us. 
Now we approach the throne in prayer, not the throne of judgment, but the throne of grace, Hebrews 4 says. We have full confidence approaching the throne of grace, having our hearts sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus, and having our bodies washed with the pure water of baptism and renewal and the new life that we've been born into. So the invitation is still on the table this morning. God's love invites us to commune with him, to dwell in his house, to come and feast at his table of grace and mercy and love. That's the move upward. When we commune with our good, good father and feast on his goodness, that is moving upward in prayer. The move inward is about learning to pray, about letting the resistance to prayer fall away, <clears throat> to acknowledge the absolute necessity of pray. I left last week thinking we have to pray. We must pray. Don't wait until God drives you to that place where you're on your knees desperate and saying, Lord, we need you. Because the truth is we all need him now every minute of every day. Knowing God moving inward is about knowing also our true inner selves. As we move our thoughts into our hearts, we learn ourselves in a genuine way. But moving upward is about experiencing what Tim Keller calls awe and intimacy with God the Father. It's about dwelling in God's presence. It's about learning to love, to linger in the splendor of God's love and mercy and goodness. That's a beautiful alliterative phrase, isn't it? Learning to love, to linger in the splendor of who God is. The move upward begins with a prayer of adoration, praising God because we love him as a good, good father. And those prayers of adoration and praise happen spontaneously. They're elicited from us the more that we learn to do this. The more that we realize how incredible our God is and how everything else in this world will let us down eventually. I quoted St. Augustine last week, who once prayed in his prayer journal, the, the Confessions of St. Augustine, Oh Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's true. It's true because when we pray prayers of adoration, we, we learn why the things of this world have left us empty. Adoration prayers burst forth naturally as a response to God's good, good provision and movement in our lives. Think about this. Do you have to work at it to praise a great meal? You could go to any one of these awesome restaurants we have in this town that we're blessed with and have a wonderful meal and you say, that was amazing. Oh, everything went together so nicely. It was cooked perfectly. You, you burst forth spontaneously in praise. Or what about Preds fans at a playoff game? It sounds like they're headed to the playoffs this year again. Do they have to work at it to stand and cheer? Do, do Titans fans have to really make an effort when they score a touchdown to stand and scream? It's elicited in them because they love to celebrate their team. We should love to celebrate our good, good father infinitely more. I have a friend who's the pastor of a church plant here in town. They use our building quite often, and whenever he hears something good, he immediately says, praise God, praise God. It's just his 
default answer to God's goodness and grace in his life and in the lives of others. It's, it's become this prayer of adoration that just is naturally elicited in him. I was telling him about something good that happened at Woodmont, and he said, praise God, praise God. I, I love how he smiles just big, and his go-to response is a prayer of adoration. Praise God. So let's now look at a prayer of adoration from the prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms. In Psalm 27, David is responding to God's protection and provision in his life by praying a prayer of adoration. You know, I was talking to someone in my office just a couple days ago who was saying, it's, it's incredible how when I look back on how all these doors have opened up in my vocation and how I, I just happen to be in the job that I love and I never thought I would be making these career changes, but each path was open for me as I went. And I said, praise God, praise God. It's amazing how God's pro provided and gone before us. And he's ordained your steps. Let's respond with adoration. And we prayed right then for thanking God for how he's provided. So let's stand this morning if you're able to as we read this prayer of adoration out of Psalm 27. It's a majestic prayer. I pray that these words will fall on your heart in a way that changes us. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. 
Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? David, the the shepherd boy who's been providentially spared from lions in the field and and from giants on the battlefield, is, is praying a prayer of adoration to his good, good father because he knows it's his father who has brought him thus far, who has provided protection for him over all those situations. He starts out in verse 1 by demonstrating the, the answer to fear. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you fear? How many, how many of you wrestle with fear this morning? Here's the answer. David faced some incredibly scary situations in his life. If anybody had reason to fear, it was this guy. I can't imagine being in battle armed with just a slingshot and five stones against this massive Philistine with a huge spear and a big sword and a shield and full armor. But God is our light and our salvation. Of whom shall we fear? The light of God exposes the lies of the darkness. What we fear is nothing to be feared. And the light shows us that. We have nothing to fear because we see the truth in the light. We see the reality that our God, our Father, is in control. That He is a good Father who protects His children with perfect sovereign power. And He's never going to let evil win. Never. In verse 2, David's referring to an animal, these, these enemies who assail him to eat up his flesh. He's talking like a, about a pack of wild animals that are hunting him down. In our Tuesday morning men's Bible studies, we've been talking the last few weeks about these hunters of greed and, and lust that have devoured the lives of so many men in our culture. You know, our, our enemies as Christian men and women, our enemies are not to be taken lightly They destroy lives because our enemy is out to to kill, steal, and destroy. But the end of verse 2 says that we can be confident that as we flee these hunters, as we are faithful to, to run away from these pursuers, it is they who will stumble and fall, not us. We will mount up with wings like eagles. And then in verse 4, we we see how to get rid of the fears that distract us. These fears keep our mind chasing all kinds of of distractions, but a singular purpose will help us to focus on what really matters and lead to a life of flourishing. One thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty, to learn from him in his own dwelling place, to inquire of him and ask him great and unsearchable things that he will make known to us. We used to sing this great little song when I was in college. I haven't heard it in years, but it's called Pure and Holy Passion. I'm not going to sing it, but it's real simple. It goes, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in your truth. 
This world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing You, my Lord. Lead me on, and I will run after You. Lead me on, and I will run after You. That's the whole song. It's beautiful. I need to do it sometime. Did you just write it down? <laughs> You're taking notes? That's great. To know God, to know God through knowing Christ our Lord, to enjoy being in His presence forever through the Holy Spirit, to have Him as our glorious, magnificent obsession. That's what happens when we move upward in prayer. That's what moving upward in prayer is all about, to be in the presence of God our Father. This is ultimately what makes sense out of everything else in life. If we're not doing that, if we're not moving upward in prayer, we will be confused and distracted and scared. We don't know ourselves, and we don't know our place in this world until we know the God who made us for a purpose. That should be our singular purpose then, to know God and His ways. The Apostle Paul wrote about his passion, his obsession to know Christ in the letter to the Philippians Chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's a dirty word in Greek, by the way. It's a really offensive word. It's all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. A singular purpose, one thing. Do you remember that scene from the movie City Slickers? It's not a child-friendly movie or one that I would recommend to anyone. It's not even a, a great movie. I'm not endorsing it, but there's this scene that really stuck with me in that movie. There's this unhappy city slicker, Mitch, played by the great Billy Crystal, who's, he goes to a dude ranch with some of his buddies out west in search of what's missing in his life. The problem is, you know, he knows he's unhappy, but he doesn't know why. So on a real life cattle drive, he meets Curly. Curly's a real-life cowboy who knows exactly what he wants and exactly how to get it. Here's the advice he gives to Mitch. Curly says, you know what the secret of life is? And Mitch says, your finger? And Curly says, one thing, just one thing. You stick to that and the rest don't mean nothing. And Mitch says, but what is the one thing? And Curly smiles and says, that's what you have to find out. And, and here's the thing, the, the movie's like this, it's like postmodern relative theology because Curly's really saying that for each one of us, the one thing is something different and you each have to find what is your one thing, but that doesn't work. I can tell you from experience, we all need an ultimate purpose. If it was all, you find what works for you and I'll find what works for me, then there would be no truth. There would, it's just postmodern relativism, Right? We need an ultimate authority. We need the greatest good. We need the one who's perfect in all of his ways to validate us and to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. The one thing is Jesus Christ for everyone. 
I believe that with all my heart. So if that's true, then why is finding that one thing such a struggle for so many of us in life? Mitch, in the movie, he appears to have it all. He's like a wealthy New Yorker. He's got a good job. He's got a, a, a wife. Looks like a stable marriage, like loving children, and it looks like a good home life, home life, and yet he's unhappy. What's missing from his life? You know, tons of, of baby boomers in our culture have found out in the last 20, 25 years that chasing the American dream of a, a big house with two nice cars in the garage and the 2.5 children and the white picket fence, that, that, that's not that great. It's, it's like the dog chasing the car, right? It's fun to chase it, but then what happens when the dog actually catches the car? It's not so fun. It didn't turn out to be that great after all. There must be something more. And we may not always feel like you know, we want to know God or we want to experience intimacy with him, that we want to experience his awe-inducing beauty. So we have to pray. That desire comes through prayer. We pray, Lord, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. Give me one magnificent obsession. And that verse also says that the singular obsession with God, our one thing, knowing God, actually involves two parts. First, to, to gaze upon his beauty and then to inquire of him. That, that the one thing is a preoccupation with both the person of God and his will. To, to treasure God for who he is, that's gazing on him. To know how great he is, how our good, good father loves us, that's, that's to gaze on him. But to inquire of him, that's wanting desperately to be a part of his good purposes for our life. To please him, to receive the validation from him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why the song says, give me one pure and holy passion to know and follow hard after you. It's two parts to it. And these two parts are part of one thing. Knowing God's person and following God's will come from a singular preoccupation with God. And that's what verses 7 through 12 are all about. David says here in verse 8 that he passionately seeks God's face. That he longs to behold the, the goodness and the glory of his good, good father. He wants to see him. Just like my, my youngest son Isaiah does when I'm gone for a while. And then I finally walk in the door and his face lights up and he screams, Daddy! And he runs to me. It's amazing. He just wants to be around me. He just wants to be in my presence. Even if I'm working, he wants to be in my lap. I can't get any work done because he just wants to be right in my lap feeling safe and loved and secure and validated as my son. But David, in this passage, is not only a worshiper who adores God and experiences the presence of his father, he's also a pilgrim. He's a disciple on a journey. That's why he prays here in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. He wants to, to go God's way, to do God's will, to be a part of God's divine purposes for the world. You know, he wants off the sidelines and into the game to, to have a role to play. I love the way the psalm ends, too. 
Sometimes the Psalms end with an answer. God responds to the prayer with a a validation or some kind of response. Or the, the prayer ends up saying, praise God. It's like he's received an answer to his prayer. But other times like this, we're left with nothing but our faith to go on. Because the Christian life is about walking by faith and not by sight. In verse 13, David says, I believe that I shall gaze upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The land of the the living in Hebrew is this present world where people live and dwell. I believe that I will see God's goodness in this life. His matchless goodness. I will gaze upon it in this world. I may not see it right now, But we Christians, again, we have to walk by faith, trusting that God will show us his goodness. And then David closes here, not by talking to God, but by talking to himself. Sometimes I find that when I'm preaching a sermon, Ed even prayed this, I think, in our prayer time in the fireside room, he prayed that that I would preach to myself even. I, I find that when I'm preaching a sermon or even when I'm praying that sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to my heart. I'm preaching to my own heart because I need this just as much as anybody else does. He says in verse 14, wait for the Lord, David. Wait for the Lord. Be, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Some of you need to preach that to yourself this morning. Wait on the Lord because he is worth waiting for. Don't put yourself in his place. He's on the throne, not us. Wait on him. He knows what time it is and where you are. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that the, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. That's the truth. Let's wait on our good, good Father who knows what time it is and where you are as we seek his face, as we learn his way for us as individuals and corporately as a church. Let's pray. Lord our God, you are on the throne of this world and of the other world. You alone are sovereign You alone are high and exalted over all the earth and the heavens. You have displayed your glory and your majesty. You've put the stars in place with your fingers. And yet you still have created us from the dust and breathed life into us and redeemed us as your children and adopted us into your family. And you are our good, good Father who loves us more than we ever could imagine in in spite of all of our flaws and our brokenness and our sinfulness and our, our proneness to wander. God, you love us. Help us to believe that by faith this morning. Help us to learn more how to, to love, to linger in your presence. That we would just enjoy your splendor and your majesty in our lives more than anything else in this world. 
God, forgive us when we don't do that. Forgive us when we seek things that are of this world more than anything else. Help us to, to, to learn to sit in your lap just like Isaiah sits in my lap and just enjoys the communion with you, our good, good Father. Help us to savor that more and more as we move upward in prayer. Teach us to pray. Teach us to learn how to love you more and more. We love you and pray this all in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Maybe you realize this morning here today that you don't love to linger in God's presence. Maybe you, you don't burn eagerly to gaze upon his face. Maybe you, you don't eagerly desire to know his way and his will that you feel like your way is still best. Well, I'm not asking you to love to linger in God's presence. I'm asking you to learn to love to linger in God's presence along with me. Will you commit this morning, pick up a prayer book and to pray with us in the month of March? Will you start praying with your spouse every day out loud? Will you pray for your children and with your children every day out loud? Will you ask God to, to give you one pure and holy passion, one magnificent obsession, one glorious ambition for your life to know and follow hard after him. We're going to move into a time of prayer now. I would ask you just to pray silently right now where you are. Ask God to rightly order your desires. St. Augustine prayed that God would rightly order his loves. Ask God to search your heart and then pray a prayer of confession to him acknowledging your love for things that aren't him. Ask him to help you to learn to love, to linger in his presence. Now let's pray prayers of adoration. Psalm 4.3 says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him, the Lord hears. The Lord hears the prayers of all of his children in this world who are praying to him right now. This may be a little uncomfortable for some of you, but I want to ask you to lift up a prayer of adoration to God out loud right now. Just a normal speaking voice as if you were having a conversation with someone sitting next to you. I think it'll be powerful to get a tiny glimpse of what God sort of hears, the sounds of his children praising him for who he is and for his perfect will. Let's just linger now as we pray to him and then I'll close us here at the pulpit. Oh God, you've been so good to us. Oh Lord, our God, you have treated us not as our sins deserve, but you have lavished your grace on us. God, such knowledge is too wonderful for us to imagine. Give us faith to accept the reality of your goodness in our lives. Help us to yearn for you, to eagerly desire you, to burn desperately 
for your presence in our lives more and more. Because the reality is we do need you, oh God. We do desperately need your spirit in us to draw us to our, yourself. Nothing we do on our own will be good or last in this world, oh God. You establish our plans, oh Lord. We want to learn your way. We want to walk in your truth more and more. Help us to be a praying church that depends on you because we realize that we have to pray. Thank you for being a good, good father to us, for adopting us when we were in full rebellion against you. Help us to live into the reality of our gospel-redeemed selves. We love you, O oh God, our Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now. We're going to sing, speak to my heart. If you've never accepted the grace that God extends to you by receiving the free gift of salvation in your heart and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, not only of your heart, but of your life and your future and your time and your talent and your treasure and everything that you are and will be, I invite you to come forward and talk to me about doing that right now. If you need a church family, if you're trying to do life kind of on your own or if you are, are lonely and you, you need to, to join the family of faith here at Woodmont Baptist Church, I invite you to come and talk about membership with me right now. Whatever it is that you need to do, maybe it's just that you haven't really prayed in a long time. Maybe you don't really have a prayer life to speak of and you, this all sounds kind of new and weird to you and you want to talk about, you feel called to be a person of prayer. That's my heart and my hope for all of us. If you want to talk to me about that as well, I'd love to, to talk with you now during this time. Whatever it is you need to do, don't leave this place without dealing with God. Let's stand and sing. Speak to my heart.